This episode of the Council of the First Ones was recorded on October 27, 2019. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Council of the First Ones. I'll be your host today, Renee, welcoming you all. We have our usual guest. Gentlemen, introduce yourselves and let's introduce our special guest today. Hello, I'm David Clark, owner of adultcollector.org. It's great to be here. Hello, I'm Rex from Facebook's Masters of the Universe groups. It's great to be back. Guys, we have a special guest. Please introduce yourself to our audience. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm uh, Ben. I am the head of creative for Megalopolis City of Collectibles. You know, it's great to have you here, sir. And, uh, you know, we're mostly an audio podcast, which right now I'm kind of regretting because uh, he's on video on the Skype here, ladies and gentlemen. And in the back of him, we see like all the awesome Motu toys this guy has. I'm just impressed. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. So uh, many toys. <laughs> yeah. My daughter gives me a hard time about it. Anytime I try to tell her no uh, about getting a new toy, she knows exactly how many I have in here. She's counted them, and she'll fold it against me. Do you know how many He-Mans you have? <laughs> well, I got to ask you, you know, since you're a collector and, of course, you uh, retailer yourself, where did it start for you? I started collecting um, real young. Um, I mean, I always loved toys from a very, you know, from – the time i could crawl i was obsessed with different toys i had uh and i got introduced to uh, masters when i was about four years old and it was just breathtaking the first time i saw those figures in castle grayskull in my buddy's basement and it's been my uh favorite toy collection ever since um when i actually got into the toy business i was about 13 years old i got into it going to flea markets in Pittsburgh when I lived back east and uh, talking to all the guys back there that were selling vintage Motu. And I started actually buying collections off of my friends who weren't really into toys anymore at that age and, and selling them to guys at the flea market. And so that was kind of the my first venture into toys that young. Um, so yeah, Motu's always been my very favorite toy line um, and definitely the biggest inspiration for me um both as a collector and as a you know getting into the business and whatnot now that you you brought it up but you said like when you were 13 was this about because i'm trying to figure out too because around that same time i got a feeling that me and you kind of started off at the same time kind of collecting these and all that so is it accurate to say this was around the 90s uh yeah let's see i was so 90 would have been 92 when i was 13 yeah so we're about we're kind of close to the same age and i kind of had the same thing you know people forgot motu back then right yeah there was that period where those of us that grew up on it uh you know a lot of people were out growing toys and it was they were just the old toys they had in the base um and then it sort of had the revival i guess you know for those of us that it never left us when we got older and had money and then you know, 2000X happened and then the classics and all that. And that kind of blew up again. And so what got you into uh, actually getting this re getting into the retail part of it? 
Well, it's just kind of been something I've always done. I mean, I, it started out when I was around, like I said, 13. I started that first little venture at flea markets to, just to fund my hobby. Uh, and then later on in life, when I was a college student, I was um, supplementing my income, making custom figures for people online. Uh, and then as I grew that business, I kind of realized there was going to be a ceiling on how much I could do just because I could only make so many figures. So I started reaching out to toy companies to get wholesale accounts and selling stuff. And it just kind of kind of grew out of that. Um, so, you know, I've just sort of always kind of always done it. It just kind of organically grew out of the hobby for me. Well, wow, so w- you said you were uh, getting wholesale accounts and whatnot. Did you start on like eBay as like a seller or did you go straight to setting up your website and whatnot? Um, well, all sorts of different stuff. So like when I first started was actually kind of pre um, and I would just be on like uh, like message boards and blogs and talking to people that way. And I did a lot of flea markets and, and that kind of stuff. Later on, I did some of eBay and Amazon. Um, but I had uh, my first toy website was called Toytopia. We used to like advertise it, Toy Fair magazine and Wizard World and all that when it was sort of how it was done. And that oh, was wow, really, I remember you guys. Yeah. So that was that was kind of my. Uh, I, that was really my first big thing. And then I got away from it for, for a while. When I was married, my wife was into doing the toy business, I ended up working in uh, the clothing business, actually, of all things, because that's what she wanted to do. And then when we got divorced, I was uh, doing a lot of consulting uh, and ended up getting hired for somebody to design a toy company. And that's where Megalopolis was was born. And my brother and I ended up taking that over about two years ago. And yeah, here we are. Wow, so you were hired to set up a toy company and you you bought it out and started running it yourself? Yep, <laughs> more wow. or less. Um, That's so, the American dream right here, man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the guy we started it for, so I, I did all the, the branding and uh, marketing design and I had all the uh, contacts in the industry from my years working in toys and everything. My brother did the web design, that kind of stuff. And then the gentleman that hired us just kind of a, an entrepreneur that liked to do lots of different things, but wasn't really a toy guy. Um, and I think you have to be a toy guy to be successful in the toy business because it's such a unique business. Um, so he was getting burned out on it relatively quickly. And my brother and I weren't happy with his vision for the company. So um, yeah, it just kind of made, made sense. We wanted to take it over and do something different with it. And he was kind of tired of it anyway. So yeah, it worked out really well, and now we're about two years into you know building my brother and I's vision for the brand. Wow, and and here here you are, and you know you've got this impressive looking retail location. Yeah, thank you. Now for our listeners, could you uh, give the plug? You know. Sure. Um, yeah. So we're Megalopolis City of Collectibles, and find us online at megalopolis.toys. We also have an app that's available on Google Play and the App Store. Um, we call ourselves the Comic-Con Lifestyle Online. We approach things a little bit differently than some of our competitors. Um, we're less about just being shopping and more about the hobby in general. So, you know, we partner with Pixel Dan and Shardimus uh, making original content that we put up on our app. We make stop motion videos with action figures we put on there. Um, we have our own character, the Toy Overlord, that's sort of the narrator uh, of the city of collectibles and, uh, doing all that. And yeah, we're doing all sorts of cool stuff, which is about to, uh, start shipping 
the Siege of Bjorngar way for Mythic Legions this week, actually. We've partnered with the Four Horsemen as their domestic fulfillment partner for Mythic Legions and uh, partnering with a bunch of other indie toy companies this year and got a lot of really cool, uh, unique stuff on the horizon for collectors. So it's it's going great. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. Well, let me go back a little bit because now I'm curious because I remember you guys from the Toy Fair. You said Toy Fair. And then I was like, oh, I remember you guys. And so as part of it, you've been, I would say, I would like to say you've been there since the beginning through ups and downs. You know, and there was a time where this started. We had, I don't know if we're, we were in a golden age of collectors or if there ever was one at this point in time. But I want your opinion since you are one of the retailers. We have you here. How is the toy market? What's your opinion on that right now? Um, well, I mean, it's a lot healthier than people think. Um, it's different. You know, the, the people that buy toys, there's a lot of adult collectors driving a huge segment of the market. Um, and so it, it's just different than it used to be. So like how toys are doing in a mass retail setting versus how the industry on a whole is doing are different. And I think sometimes, uh, you know, I'll read that negativity online about, oh, the toy industry is dying because it's not. It's growing every year, um, getting bigger every year. It's just the demographics of who's buying it um, are different uh, and whatnot. But every, you know, every generation has the things that they they loved. And as they become adults, they, they create fandom. So like the guys our age, you know, that we, we loved Masters of the Universe or Transformers or G.I. Joes. Then a little bit after that, the kids that uh, were into Ninja Turtles came of age. And, you know, right now it's uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers uh, is getting huge among those guys. So it's it, it's a cyclical thing. And there's always new fandoms um, coming into adult collectibles. So it's the business is healthy. There's more and more people making cool product all the time. Sales can need to grow year over year. So it's uh, it's just a different business, but it's it's going great. Yeah, it's not like the baseball. I mean, the I was thinking of the baseball cards and uh, sports cards phase that we kind of went through in the uh, '90s and 2000s, and how that market kind of collapsed. But totally. I tell I tell people that you know toys are different, and I remember I don't know if it was Scott Knightlick or I'm I'm 90% sure it was Scott Knightlick who said. That even though we have an era where kids love video games and that is, you know, a thing we live in, the physical representation of things kids love will always be needed. You know, we'll right. we'll always need to have a plastic thing of whatever we love. Like I could tell you right now, in my office, I have a Master Chief action figure. Right, right. And, and I think... So you go back in time and look at like, uh, you know, with Masters of the Universe, we had... The, the filmation cartoon star wars we saw it on the big screen and throughout time you would you would see these things and experience them as entertainment and you would want to own that physical thing so you could have it in your hand and bring it into the real world and sort of own a piece of that emotion and so even kids that are playing video games and stuff it's the same thing you know that's a form of entertainment that's a different form of entertainment, just like going to these or watching a cartoon would be, where a toy is still a way to take that into the physical world. And so it doesn't take that away. Um, you know, it changes the play path a little bit, but it that's never lost. It's um, experiencing tangible things uh, as we're growing and developing as 
as people and as children will always be something that's important. So, yeah, it's always going to exist. Well, I never underestimate the power of nostalgia. I mean, right. you know, we we watched uh, He-Man on our TVs 30, you know, something years ago. And uh, here we are <laughs> as, as fully grown adults buying up toys so that we can, you know, bring back those wonderful memories. Yeah, absolutely. And I keep thinking that as a retailer, you know, how has the uh, right now for all this time, we had the classics and that's what I want to talk about. And then later, later, I want to get into some speculation with you about what's coming. But how has the classics worked out for you in your business? Well, it, classics was a direct to consumer lie. Uh, and so we we generally don't buy. We all, I mean, we generally only buy wholesale stuff and then sell it for a normal retail price. We don't do like the secondary market speculation stuff. So we didn't sell a ton of classics. Um, we've done a lot of Super 7 stuff with like the, you know, the vintage inspired figures and, and reaction, muscle and all that stuff. So like everything else, Masters, we certainly sell a ton of. Um, but as far as classics goes, we really didn't sell a lot of it just because, you know, it was direct to consumer and buying it and marking it up on people isn't generally how we run our business. Okay, because I was always just thinking about like, if I had a business, you know, and I know uh, this was a lot of argument people griped about when uh, Matty Collector was around, that those figures, yeah, they were subscription if you didn't subscribe to them, which I'll tell you was expensive. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, they were. It was kind of expensive, and we didn't know what we were getting. And, of course, people complain. There was the big battle with the uh, collectors and the cherry pickers. You know, cherry pickers became a dirty word in the community <laughs> sure. after a while. Because, yeah. you know, people felt that they weren't supporting the toy line and all that. Right. I always thought, you know, an ambitious collector, an ambitious retailer, and of course, they were people who did this, that they bought them and they posted them up now. Or I was thinking individuals who had retail in mind, you know, would order a couple of sets. Now, I'm thinking now, if those guys had that vision, they would be mad raking it in, you know, because they're gone. And it's just really hard to get them. I mean, whoever is selling a Fisto, Man, that guy is going to make a 500% profit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the secondary market prices on the line are insane. I mean, they they got crazy. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's a uh, secondary market speculation. Certainly, it's people that do that that buy that stuff and sock it away. And there's a lot of equity this line for sure um, from that standpoint. But yeah, it's it's not. We don't generally do, do that. You know, we we focus on like the stuff that's current and uh, we get it. And when it's gone, it's gone and we're on to the next next wave. So um, but, yeah, I mean, there's definitely guys out there that did that, that socked away and still have that that are selling them for a lot. But, um, yeah, it was just with it, the made to order sort of mentality that it had. It just made it made it a lot more scarce. Well, just to move it up, since you said current, jumping a little bit, I want to say we want to go from current now to future a little bit. Uh, will the your store be getting the new waves? I mean, the uh, the uh, new uh, retail figures? Uh, are the the Mattel ones? Yeah. Oh, the Origins figures? Yeah, the so, Origins. So as of right now, Origins is planned out to be a Walmart exclusive. Um, Mattel's idea on marketing it um, 
they kind of feel like they want all the stuff that's on the market right now to disappear and then come to market fresh with that stuff. And they're using origins to kind of remind adults um, that maybe forgot about masters, why they loved it and introduce it to their kids and use that as a lead in to the marketing for movie. That's what they're planning to do. And so their marketing strategy is uh, they feel that if they get big retail exposure in Walmarts, that's the best way to expose people to it. Um, there's definitely a lot of different schools of thought about that, but that's the plan. Um, I do know that after the first few waves, if they perform well enough that they think uh, specialty can also sell it without you know, taking away too much of the demand, I guess, the mass retailers, they're going to do that. So if they end up making Origins available to us, absolutely, we'll be some of the first people to have it. But as of right now, the last time I, I talked uh, with Mattel, that was where they were heading with it. And the movie line was going to be the stuff that was available to everybody. Okay, because we heard a little different, didn't we, David? Uh, no, when he said uh, Walmart exclusive, I, I read that somewhere. Oh, okay, because yeah. uh, I remember the panel saying that, oh, it's going to be everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they have them there at YouTube. Well, yeah, they, I, I mean, thought they were good as well. Yeah, some Sometimes Mattel's version of available everywhere and our version available everywhere is very different. Their version of available everywhere is they're going to be in all the Walmarts and there's Walmarts everywhere. You know, I'm re- I remember when Classics came out and they were before they launched them, <clears throat> they were saying it's going to have the widest distribution of any Masters of the Universe line ever. And then it was only direct to consumer. And they were like, right, anybody could buy it online. That's the widest distribution. It's like, that's that's not wide distribution. That's zero distribution. But, you know, it's just uh, that's just kind of what they do over there. But, you know, it's stuff could change between now and when they come out too. they're slated to come out until uh, Christmas time next year. Uh, right, the the WWE Masters of the Universe stuff is uh, is supposed to be shipping soon, and that's where it kind of starts. That stuff is for sure Walmart exclusive. Um, yeah, which it it frustrates me because well one because the they're supposed to connect with each other. You're supposed to be able to interchange the parts, right? That's how they're designed, and right. yet there's going to be this huge gap between the WWE figures and and the um, uh, Masters of the Universe figures. and But most, you know, what frustrates me most about that is the idea that if Mattel or fans want to see any changes made to those Origins figures, like like some of the changes suggested during the, the PowerCon panel, uh, they could be locked in to their design, you know, for the neck, neck peg and other design elements because they're bringing out these WWE figures so much sooner than the Motu Origins figures. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of potential issues around having them come out so far apart. I know the um, the thinking of it is they want to try to introduce more kids to Masters of the Universe, and the way they're looking at it is WWE is the number one selling. Uh, action figure line at mass retail especially their basic line that's the number one selling action figure line to boys so what they want to do is get these sort of hybrid characters that these kids know uh from the wrestlers and then they're going to come with mini comics that are sort of a mashup of the motu mini comics and wwe stories so that kids are 
sort of conditions for the way Masters is presented when it comes out and also get them excited for um, so that, you know, when Motu hits the shelves, it's like, oh, I'm familiar with this. It it feels, you know, the same as this world I'm already playing in. I think that's kind of what they're thinking. Um, but I agree that's it's awfully far apart, um, but they want to have Origins hit at a very specific time because of when they're planning to hopefully roll out the movie product stuff that's in development. So that's, that's the thinking on it. Um, so we'll, we'll see if it, if it works. I hope it does. <laughs> well, let me yeah. tell you what scares me. When I heard about them combining WWE with Masters of the Universe, I kind of thought, well, on paper, that makes sense. You know, there is a logic to that. You have these muscular guys and ladies who battle they're they're larger than life they are action heroes and then joining with the with masters of the universe i'm like okay that there's a logic to it i did combine you know they had those build a wrestler guys a couple of years ago and i did get a gladiator one with the gladiator gear and i kind of made him like uh, an eternian guard and did get i did mash up weapons and all that with them and so I think maybe that's where they got the idea. And I'm thinking, okay, it kind of works. It could. But I keep thinking, will this work? You know, will the kids jump to this? And will it hook the kids? Which, yeah, clearly that's the strategy they want. They want to get the kids to get reintroduced to Masters. It's worth noting that uh, Mythic Legions, you know, one of the great things about those toys is that they're they're so interchangeable. They fall apart into a million pieces that you can use like Legos to build your own custom figures. So I feel like there's a lot of influence there as well. I think modular action figures um, continue to become more and more popular. I think Boss Fight Studios and uh, a lot of those companies are doing that um, for that reason. It appeals to to customizers it, it appeals as play value for kids to be able to mix and match the pieces and create their own original stuff uh, and from a toy maker perspective it's great for tooling costs because man if you can make these parts that can be used on lots of different figures it can can really help get costing down and I mean, that is one of the things about the origins line that is really appealing is i mean it's going to be a 15 dollar retail price point which in the landscape right now um, I mean, prices are about to go up, too, with the tariffs. I mean, a Star Wars black figure is going to be 22 bucks next year, and you can get a Motu Origins figure for 15 bucks. That's a killer price point. Um, so that, that definitely is, is great for a lot of reasons, yeah. I hope that they can maintain that $15 point by the time wow. that they come out next year. Well, and two, keeping the fans going, because the ring, as I remember, has a retail price of $30. But I, I always find it a little concerning that the ring's coming out first. People are starting to get the ring. They're starting to receive it. And the wrestlers still haven't shown up. So I understand why, from a logistics standpoint, popping out a ring is much, much easier than making an action figure on the factory side. Getting them actually done and getting the tools proper. There's a lot of little nuance that goes in that stuff, right? So making the ring is is relatively simple so it doesn't surprise me it's showing up first and i understand from mattel's perspective why it's nice to start getting revenue and getting that out the door but if you're walmart who is already quick to put things on clearance when it doesn't perform i have that same fear because it's like man if, if i'm a kid and i see this castle grayskull wrestling ring 
I have no idea what goes in it. If there's no figures there, it doesn't make any sense to me. And as right. a collector, you know, for us, like we're the hardcore collectors. We know what's going on, right? Because we pay attention to Comic-Con and we're, we're online and we're in the Facebook groups and everything else. But if you're a casual collector and you see that Castle Grayskull ring sitting on the shelf and you're not in the community and you don't see those figures... You're just going to be scratching your head like, what? what is this? And if you look at the box and figure out there's supposed to be figures, you're going to wonder where they are. So mm-hmm. sure, I think, I think that's a real concern. That thing could end up on clearance before the figures even are there. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But uh, well, I, I think that's a valid concern for sure. I remember a couple times being in Walmart and uh, there was a movie coming out and the toys came out really early for the movie uh, before it actually hit theaters and they actually put them in clearance like right before they, <laughs> but right before the movie actually came out, you saw the toys in, in the clearance aisle. Right. Well, that's, that's what happened with the last star Wars movies. The toys came out way, way early. You know, they died almost at the, you know, when the movie came out, cause the movie, uh, again, we're not the Star Wars podcast, but the movie was not the greatest Star Wars movie ever made. The toys just flopped for the first time ever, and they kind of released these ones over here. And I'm not seeing any new Star Wars toys. They did have their Star Wars day, and now it's kind of like a trickle thing at the toy aisles. And I really yeah. don't want to see that with the Masters. Yeah, the, the rollout strategy definitely changed uh, for Star Wars as a result of that. And I agree. I, I hope that that's not what happened. Masters, I, I like to get the uh, the frequent flow of new waves. And it, the thing about Masters of the Universe is it is just such a huge catalog of characters. And we all have different reasons why we gravitate to certain characters. I mean, it's sure we all love He-Man and Skeletor, but it's like, you know, Pixel Dan, you know, he'll talk to you about Mosquitoor all day long, but you know, Mosquitoor is a pretty deep uh, in the catalog character. And I think um, all of us are like that. We all have the more obscure ones for me. I'm looking at Spike War right now. Who's always <laughs> been one of my favorites. So if we're going to get to those characters, it definitely needs to have frequent, diverse wave. Um, so you don't run into that same problem you had in 2002 where the pegs got clogged up with, you know, spin blade and the smash blade He-Mans and Skeletors that kept from getting to the sort mm-hmm. of the deep catalog of characters. But I do know that uh, the marketing team at Mattel is very aware of that. Uh, and so the way that they're sort of planning the waves to come out um, it's really cool the way they have it laid out. So if if the other side of the company sort of executes what marketing and design have planned, that's not going to be a big issue. But certainly it all comes down to what it does on the retail shelves. Has your property been destroyed in a recent battle? Contact the Mighty Lawyer. Even He-Man and Skeletor fear the Mighty Lawyer. You'll be taken care of. Okay, well, let me uh, switch gears. Mattel this week sent out a tweet. It sent out a Facebook question and all that. That kind of got a lot of buzz going because, you know, you talked about the marketing. Mattel asked, what does Motu mean to you? And for us, you know, also in this podcast, we, we've answered that, you know, it has a very deep, impactful meaning to us. Asking you, since we have you here, and clearly you're a passionate fan, you know, I want to ask you that, you know, what does Masters of the Universe means to you? Oh, man, it it's hard to answer 
that question uh, succinctly. Um, it, it means different things to me at different times in my life. So um, when I first got introduced to it as a young kid, it, it captured my imagination. Um, it's been a part of what ended up uh, fueling my creativity through life as I became an artist, a musician, a creator, just, uh, you know, even as a hobbyist. And as a kid, I used to go hunt for figures with my grandfather. So that's a big part of it for me when I get new figures. I'll, it'll take me back to uh, moments when I was a little kid hunting for figures with my grandpa. And, you know, he passed away when I was um, 11 years old. And so it sort of keeps my, my grandfather's spirit alive with me in a lot of ways to be able to relive those, those moments. Um, so it's really special to me uh, in that way. Then as I got older, you know, we moved around a lot when I was a kid and toys were a big, big part of my life. Um, just playing with toys and having imaginative play by myself when I was the new kid in school. And then as I met other kids and, and uh, shared Masters of the Universe with them, like I mentioned earlier, when I was 13 and I was buying the figures off my buddies, it, it sort of um, it sort of marks that period of a lot, too. And I first started getting the bug of entrepreneurship, which would end up being what steered my career as an adult. Moving through history in 2002, I was managing a toy department at a Walmart when that line came out and learning about how retail worked. And then as I got older, when classics came out, I was already working in the business all the way up to today, where now, you know, I was such a fan of the Four Horsemen's work when 2002 came out and uh, finding out that they had designed a lot of the Spawn figures I had been into when I was younger as well, becoming a fan of those guys. And now, you know, Corn Boy's one of my best friends and I talk to him every day and I'm uh, working, you know, with uh, as the distributor for Mythic Legions and got to see a lot of the prototypes, for these figures a year ago, uh, you know, hanging out at their studio. And so it's just like this whole journey, Masters of the Universe, through my whole life. What It's hard to answer. There's there's those emotional components that I mentioned, and there's the, the professional achievements now that are tied into it. It's, it's just a huge part of um, who I became in, in life, um, both how it sparked my creativity and you know, we, we make jokes about the little things at the end of the cartoon episodes with the morals and stuff. But I think that Masters of the Universe instilled a set of ethics in a lot of us, too, with that stuff. As silly as that sounds, He-Man was a good man, too. So you looked up to him for his ethics as as well as his power. And that stuff sticks with me, too. You know, so it's um, and, and father uh, having my into the Netflix She-Ra stuff and my niece is getting into that stuff and being able to share it with a new generation. It's just, uh, you know, it's it's a thread that weaves through every facet of my life. Really. Harry, listening to you, it kind of brings back how connected we all are, because when I talk to these guys here and I talk to fans and, you know, I make effort to go to PowerCon and, you know, meeting David and meeting all the uh, other guys here. You know, we all have same feelings. You know, there is a connection in our childhoods to it. I have memories. Uh, you mentioned your grandfather. You know, for me, it was my dad, Rex, David. You know, they all have other connections. That's the one thing I love about the Motu fan base. You know, especially like when we're all at the PowerCon. You know, everybody has similar stories to you, like yours, man. And it just blows me away how connected we all really are to that. You know, it's one of the great things about toy collecting, right, And in general. And I, I tell this to people all the time. 
it's such a diverse group of people and um, within the Motu fandom, especially. And it's so cool that you get to meet people of different genders, different races, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different careers, different education levels. Everything is represented. And all of these different types of people that would never meet in life in any other way, we get to come together because of this fandom and we share those stories of masters of the universe and you know we get connected in, on a deep personal level because of this this property and we end up you know learning about each other uh in different ways outside of the toys too and it's one of the things i love about working in toys um you know like pixel dan when he interviewed us at, at san diego camp uh, comic-con you know after we went off camera and we started talking about the different toy properties we loved and um, the different ways that impacted us and all the different people we got to meet as a result it's just, it's just awesome right i mean we get to know about each other's kids and what our kids are into and what they love and uh, uh it's just awesome it just brings people together um and it's great it's it's just what it's funny because uh it's a toy line right and that's i think a lot of people are are dismissive of it but it brings us together in a really big and meaningful way now one thing i gotta ask you since you've been there with us You've mentioned that again. You were a manager. <laughs> you know, you know, you had some retail experience, like with the 2000X. How could, how do you think we can keep this fan base going? You know, because we're all getting old here. You know, we're all old guys. <laughs> right. We're young at heart, but yes, we're getting yeah. older. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just a question I keep thinking. You know, I mean, we're getting older. Like you point out, yeah, you know the the morals and yeah, all this stuff we grew up on. And I keep thinking that we have a couple of generations that didn't grow up on this. Right. And I just keep thinking, you know, that we're going to get old. We're going to die. <laughs> you know, see, presence it happens. But I, I just would hate that, you know, this, this fan base gets forgotten. You know, I know Transformers will last forever because they kept, you know, they, they took care of that. G.I. Right. Joe, I kind of worry about that one now. You know, they had movies and all that, but. You don't hear much of anything. Star Wars will, Star Wars, it's its own life. But well, yeah, G.I. Joe, Joe's got some big, so stay tuned. It might, might give you some hope again, <laughs> but yeah. Well, I'll you. tell you, if they come back, I'll collect them. I didn't collect the 25th anniversary ones. I regret that I missed out on them, but I might get into them just to keep them alive. But yeah, I mean, it, it's a, it's a good point, right? I mean, it's as, as fans, that what we can do is is share it with people but unfortunately a lot of the responsibility does fall with the toy company that own these properties and that's one area where i think hasbro the years has had a leg up on mattel um mattel has a toy line it does well and then it dies just sort of forget about it and move on to the next thing hasbro would see the life in these properties and keep reinventing them and trying them over and over again so it's like transformers has always been there not every transformers line is a success but when it wasn't they went back to the drawing board and tweaked the formula for that generation and, and kept it there um you know it, so there's stuff like that that motu mattel after it it died i mean i guess they sort of tried new adventures but it was terrible and it fell on its face and so they just kind of they just were kind of gun shy about it for a long time and 2002 didn't resonate with kids. So, you know, what's going to resurrect the fandom or keep it alive is it's going to have to connect with another generation of kids who latches onto that property. Uh, and 
thankfully they're trying it again. You know, I think, and they're doing it in a more diversified way, which I really like. Um, you got the Kevin Smith cartoon that's coming, which is going to be very different from the approach they're going with with the movie. Um, so there's, it's going to appeal to different types of fans. They're coming out with the origin stuff that's retro and and has nostalgia attached to it. But then they're also they're they're really their big plans are for new stuff uh, and and based on the new entertainment. Um, and so they're going to try to gear that stuff to connect with kids. So. You know, it just has to be a generation that that likes it and and it clicks with them. That's what's going to end up keeping the fandom alive. It's like with your own art, with our own families. You know, your your family members are getting into the new Shira stuff. Uh, my brother, his wife is uh, a week away from having her baby, and I'm certainly going to be buying extra He-Man toys to give to to him when he starts uh, to get a bit older. Are you, have you suggested Adam or Adora as names? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> you know, my uh, my cousin had twins, one boy, one girl, and I told him the name of Skeletor, and he did not go. I just I thought Skeletor was a lovely name for. Him. There you go. <laughs> you know, aside from the retail uh, responsibility of keeping the keeping the He-Man community alive, Val Staples has done a great great deal of work in, in that regard with, uh, you know, building up the uh, PowerCon convention. Um, and of course there are all of the artists, uh, and everybody involved who's always, uh, working on their craft, uh, you know, uh, working on things to sell, working on projects like Jane, you know, the great work of James E. Talk. There are many, many of us who, who we can attribute to, uh, keeping the fire alive yeah without without question and those guys um you know with the specials they did they did for netflix and like the toys that made us episode um their work was featured in a way where it went to a broader audience and um i think rekindled some of the fire for some of the people outside of the hardcore base which is great and uh you know i i think it's important too and this is a it'd be interesting to get what your thoughts on this are but one thing that that I uh, struggle with a lot is like this element of a fandom that sort of craps on everything new that comes out. That's different. And oh. I, always, I always think, you know, uh, the new She-Ra is obviously quite different uh, aesthetically and storytelling wise than ours was, but that's because it's tailored to the sensibilities of this generation. And if we show them the filmation cartoon, uh, some of them might, may like it, but it's not going to have the mass appeal. So that's another thing I think about, a lot as as fans it's like let kids have their version of these properties the way we did too you don't have to think the new shira is as good as the old one but you also don't have to crap all over it and hope that they burn it to the ground and it fails because you're such a purist you know to me that's uh the way you kill the fandom but what are your guys thoughts on i was agreeing that you know we we've, we've said this before the fan base is negative is a little too negative the good side of it is, is because it's passionate fans, but the downside is is that they are kind of ruining things. Like, I laugh at it, the consideration about how much complaining we got, and a lot of it, to point out, was legit when Maddie Collector was around, you know, the red screen of death. And I'm sorry, I, I mixed it up. Remember the, no, what was it? That screen that we would get trying to order stuff from uh, Mattel? The white screen of death? Yeah, the white screen of death. Uh, I'm mixing it in with the Xbox, you know, red circle of death. 
You know, and then people complain because, yes, there was shoddy products coming in, you know, and uh, I'm, I was a victim to a couple of those. And uh, at times, a couple of them did get rectified when I complained to the company. Other times, I just had to live with it. Then people are like, well, it's not this. Well, it's not that. And then when they do give you, like people complained, it's not filmation. And then when the filmation line came, people still complained saying, well, it's not right. It's not like this. And again, some was legitimate. I've had uh, my Hawk uh, figure broken its neck peg. So there was legitimate complaint about quality. You know, I still have to point out, guys, we got all this stuff. We got in the classics more figures than almost any toy line in history has ever done. These figures rival Star Wars in numbers. It's a very expansive and incredible line. And for for somebody that like just to give you like an industry perspective, um, this line. So if if it was not Mattel making, it's a big lie. But when it's Mattel, it's tiny. And Mattel does not put money to stuff like that at all. So the fact that we got so much stuff is a miracle. And then the fact that they let Super 7 handle it for a little while, which is also something they never do. Um, just the business side of it, if you know what went to having to, what they had to fight through to get this line made and to keep it going, it really is miraculous. Um, and you're right. It's so expansive and an incredible line. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think fans have a right to voice concerns when there's quality issues or if a, you know, a deco issue is way off or whatever. But it's the way you go about just like anything else in life, the way you communicate with people. Uh, matters. And I think, you know, if you say, I'm not a huge fan of this filmation power sword because I don't think it's exactly accurate, here's the reasons why. I'd love to see that addressed. Thanks for the hard work and for listening to us. People are going to listen to that and care. But when you get on and you say, you guys are the worst toy company in the world and I hope you all die <laughs> and you send death threats to Scott Knightlick, <laughs> like, it gets it gets nuts, right? And so the the reason Mattel ended up kicking the line was specifically because of one blog mm -hmm. that constantly posted horrifying stuff and you know curse ridden tirades against people working at Mattel and against the product. And Mattel's a publicly traded company; they can't have that. So it's like, well, we're not gonna put up with that for this little niche fan base where we're selling 10,000 figures a month when we're selling hundreds of thousands of units of these other toy lines and that's not happening. So it's just, uh, it's one of those things where yes, you're justified in having concerns and complaints, but also treat people with respect, be constructive with your criticism and your feedback because cursing and swearing at people and calling them names is not constructive feedback. And it's, a good way to get nothing, you know? And it's a shame to think that, you know, the few people who are like that are representative of the Masters of the Universe community, which I hope they're not. Uh, Most have been positive and encouraging, but it's the negatives who were more louder. That's, well, that's a great point to make because I think it's true about toy collectors in general. Uh, and I tell this to people all the time because they'll, they'll see that online because it's so loud and say, how do you put up with that when everything's so negative and it's like dude 99.9% .9 of people in this hobby are the most amazing people you will ever meet it is a very very small percentage that acts like that it's just they're very loud and very active online 
And so it gives the wrong perception. And I know at Mattel, it definitely gave the wrong perception during Motu because they were like, this fan base is horrible. And it was mm-hmm. like, that does not represent the Motu fan base at all. Like, that is not right. who Masters of the Universe collectors all are. It's just this handful of, of people tend to be louder and more vocal online. And uh, it's, it's unfortunate that that very loud minority sometimes drowns out uh, all the positivity. Well, and and yeah, I get that people are passionate, and and sometimes they'll complain because they're they're passionate because they love the toys so much and for so many years. Uh, but you know, they, and they they just don't know how to go about it, right? Uh, that that can be part of it. But uh, you know, but the kind of criticism criticism that really gets me is like when I hear. Uh, lately a few people saying like oh well i'm going to um boycott the origins line because mattel's not giving us more classics figures and this is after how many figures they've given us they've pushed like what 300 plus figures down deep into the character selection and they don't get how they're not being supportive at all with that you know i agree right and it sours it sours the the hobby for collectors too, not just you know for the the toy company putting the product out. I there were times when I was on the message boards reading that kind of garbage, and uh, it really put me off. And when I came back to uh, Masters of the Universe after taking a break, I told myself, you know, I'm just going to stay off of social media for a while and just enjoy the toys for what they are. You know, you know what I mean? Well, yeah. you know, and it's it's interesting too. Um, like you said, the guy saying they're going to boycott it uh, as though that's going to make them make classics again or something. Um, obviously, no one has to buy a product don't like. Isn't your thing? Then don't buy Origin. But to, to try to keep other people from enjoying it is ridiculous, for one. And for two, from, from Mattel's standpoint, the reason they're not letting Super 7 do classics and uh, filmation and the retro line and that stuff is because they are concerned that the market might not be big enough to support that many lines at the same time. And they want to use Origin before as a catalyst to try and introduce the line to kids um, to, to try and give more legs to Masters of the Universe to give it a longer life. So even if you don't agree with the approach, you should agree with that as a, a goal anyway. So if you want to see more classics made, what Mattel would have to see is people will still buy the other stuff. So if Origins does really well and they can take it from being a Walmart exclusive to also selling it to specialty retail, also selling it to Target, etc., and it gets big and more product continues to be supported, then they'll say, okay, we can license this out and let Super 7 make the collector's figures because this market is big enough to support it. So you actually end up shooting yourself in the foot by saying, well, I'm not going to buy this stuff. That'll make them make the other stuff. It's going to be the exact opposite. Mattel would look at that and say, oh, there's not enough money in this property. It's just not popular enough. It's not worth our time. And they'll kill it all together. So it's really backwards thinking if what your goal is, is to try and get more stuff made. Some people at PowerCon mentioned that, well, I collected all the classics. I don't see any point in collecting, you know, the new ones. I'm like, okay, if that's your prerogative, that's that's perfectly fine. 
you know, some people collect just the vintage Star Wars. You know, I'll show you one one of my guilty pleasures is I collected the Clone Wars. You know, and that's all I have. I have a complete set of Clone Wars toys. I really don't. I can't compete anymore with more Star Wars. It's just too too much for me. I can't afford them. If you can and you want to support it, you should buy the Origins lines when you see them. You know, buy them. You know, I don't see anything wrong with $14 a figure. That's quite reasonable. They're going to be amazing, and I really hope that it becomes more than just a catalyst. And the the idea that, you know, the very the, the reality that they would uh, put classics on the back burner because, as you said, and I've and what I've heard Mattel say as well, that they they can't see both lines living or surviving on the toy shelf at the same time. I hope that doesn't become the same problem when they start to push out movie toys and you've got origins already on the shelf. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And and it just it all comes down to sales. I mean, it's if they sell enough, they'll keep making it. If they don't sell enough, they won't. So it's it'll be the the test of, of the market to see. But yeah, I agree. I certainly hope origin keeps going. Um Movie lines in general, I'm not normally a big fan of. I'll, I'm sure I'll buy the Motu stuff no matter what, and hopefully it's really cool. Um, but I, man, if people that knock the Origins figures, I feel like they've not played with. Because when you get those figures in your hand, they're <laughs> so awesome. I mean, it feels yeah. like you're holding a vintage figure just the way it's weighted and shaped. And, um, and they're awesome. I, I love them. That's and it's a great, uh, it's a great new uh, imagining. Like mm-hmm. I, I still love classics, but at the same time, it's how much more ground is there to cover? There's a handful of other filmation style characters, I guess, that would help flesh that out. And certainly we all have like, you know, Mask of Power demons or whatever it is that we personally would love to see. But the reality is we've gone past the A-listers, the B-listers, the C-listers, right. and we're into the D and E-listers. And it's not enough to keep <laughs> driving right. that line. It's just not. Anybody so, else was looking forward to Songster? <laughs> well, it's so refreshing to be to be excited about the A-listers again. To be excited about you know getting Ramman or uh, you know all, Spike or and oh, I wanted to say thanks again, Ben, for uh, setting me up with a set of those Origins SDCC figures. They're amazing. Oh, I, yeah, I remember sure. trading some Mythic Legions figures too for them. Yeah. <laughs> So you're oh. uh, those those mythic legions are on display in the case at uh, Megalopolis. Nice. So <laughs> awesome. Is your blade dull? Are you getting tired? Not getting to the point? Come to Trapjaw's Blade Service. We'll get you sharpened up real quick. Sean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just barely noticed you were here, and then like yeah. nothing. Well, I, I I came in right in the middle of everything, and I'm like, I'm not interrupting because I, I felt bad that, to even jump into the middle of everything with the interview going on. So. Well, no, because I was like, wow, this guy, uh, it's really cool having an insider, you know. Definitely. Well, a guy who knows his stuff here, especially talking about retail, and I just keep wanting to pick your brain. Uh, about what we'll be seeing but going into you know the the comparison and i don't know see that's the thing i keep saying is that uh when i tell people because i do have i do have the san diego comic-con i love it i love the figures they're solid figures you're right you're absolutely right i have not pulled them apart i'm too scared to do that (laughs) but i keep thinking god are these going to catch on are these going to be 
you know, really crazy. Are we going to get all these characters? You know, and that's the part that that really scares me, the uncertainty. With classics, one of the passions that I have, and I've shared this with guys, and we do have the same passion here, is that I do love looking at my collection. And I have a feeling you do too, that I do sit down and I look at my figures and I'm like, wow, you know, they're just beautiful figures. Well, so to back up one second about, you know, looking at the Origins figures and hoping they catch on and last, one thing I'll say to that that is very encouraging, um, we kind of hit earlier on like modular aspect of the line and how much uh, the tooling can get reused and whatnot to keep the costing down. Um, Mattel is looking at this line very differently uh, from a distribution standpoint than they did in 2002, which, uh, you know, we can kick that dead horse another time about how bad that distribution and case assortments were. They're not For you younger people, spin blade. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so it is a different strategy. Uh, and, and the horsemen have already sculpted out um, the first few ways. So it's not like there's only a handful planned. There's, there's multiple waves that are already in the design process and they're, they're looking at it as a long-term investment. They, they really believe in masters of the universe, um, which historically was not always the case, but there's a crew at Mattel right now that really believes in that property and what it can do. And they are very dedicated to seeing it succeed. So even though there may be some things about the way that they're planning it out that wouldn't be how I would do it, I'm very encouraged by the fact that there's fresh people looking at it that love the lion and are excited about see that it has a long future. Whether that means it's just going to be Origins or if it's going to be something else, I guess you know all that remains seen. But the exciting part about it is they've sort of realized Masters of the Universe is a property that has legs and has appeal and can continue to be uh, on store shelf. One of the things that I was very fascinated by was the number of vehicles they're planning to bring out in the Origins line. I'm very excited to see them bringing more of the vehicles to the line. Like when the classics, we only got three of the, well, four of the major vehicles. Right. If they make a tech track, I'll be so happy. Oh, God, me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> that was my favorite. Christmas time next year, we could see Castle Grayskull on the store shelves. Oh, I, I've said it that, you know, it, when it comes out, and my wife will be mad at me, but I've said I'm going to give away He-Man's for Christmas, you know, just to support nice. the toy line. You <laughs> there know? you go. I'm going to give out He-Man <laughs> figures to everybody. Yeah. My wife opens a box. Gee, honey, thanks for the Skeletor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can't wait to see a custom Toy Overlord Origins figure. When are we going to see that? Uh, as soon as there's enough parts out the, to make him. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, so, you know, the original idea for the toy overlord like when i'm designing the branding for megalopolis is made out of a classics figure i have him sitting on my desk in my office i actually made a, a custom motu classics figure to show like this is what i'm thinking for this guy what he'll look like he's evolved nice. since then a little bit but yeah <laughs> very so, cool well he looks yeah. like a classic i'm looking at your uh, icon here under skype and he looks like a, he's ready to be a classics figure Yep, that's definitely the uh, the inspiration for the way we drew him. One way that uh, Mattel can extend the life of the Origins line is uh, to take advantage of that uh, you know that common busk or body type 
and bring additional toy lines into the mix, not just WWE, but also things like, and I'm just throwing out random properties here, uh, Thundercats or G.I. Joe or, you know, what have you. It would be nice. The classics Thundercats were amazing. I, I absolutely loved them. And for a while, I had my Lion-O standing side by side with my He-Man. It was beautiful. And I'm hoping, I'm, I'm waiting for the new classics to get to get on board. I, I have this thing, you know, this is my OCD here, where I need to have the main guys. It just flared my OCD that the line was canceled. Before the even toys came out, I'm not getting the core. So I'm hoping that it'll finish the core. I'm okay with that. I've, I've made peace with that. But again, that's what gets to me about the, the Motu Origins is that I hope to at least get my core. I think I think we will. Um, just with, with what... Uh, I can't even remember which ones have been revealed and which ones haven't. Because I've always seen oh. stuff beyond what's been revealed and i the mystery wave that <laughs> the mystery wave we saw at uh PowerCon was scare glow many faces and orco right i thought they revealed prince adam as well yeah prince adam is coming in the sky sled and then and then they showed at uh at comic-con they had like trap jaw and uh evil lynn and tila and man at arms and all that on the we saw those right? at, yeah. at PowerCon. yeah you know, I, I'm very confident we're going to see the the core good guys and bad guys all come out. I'll just leave it at that so I don't get myself into trouble. Do you think that we're going to see cloth uh, vests and whatnot, or do you think they'll go with plastic? That's an interesting question. Um, I think they may do soft goods because they did that on Prince Adam for the Comic-Con pack, and they're trying to be very true to the original yeah. line. Uh, so if it had a fabric, you know, part of its outfit in the line, I would assume that's probably what they're going to do. But that's a good question. I'm not sure. They did. But at the same time in that set, we got extra hands, we got extra heads. And there's, you know, now what I heard was that soft goods are cheaper to produce than plastic, which would be great if that's what, you know, if we can, if Mattel can give us those figures with soft goods at $15, uh, that would be amazing. Yeah, and it always depends on the character. Um, when you're talking about the cost of making toys, sometimes uh, if you're tooling out a bunch of weapons, you can use that same tool to make a tunic or something that snaps onto them and it doesn't really change the cost much. But if it's like you would have to make a whole new center torso piece or something, that costs dramatically just making a cloth tunic. So it, it depends on you know what you're talking about. But with Origins... It's really price point driven. They're not going to have a ton of accessories and they want to use as much shared tooling as possible. So I think it's very likely that you'll see soft goods because that's definitely cheaper than having to invest in, in uh, more tooling, especially if it's one off tooling. And there's something cool about, you know, having cloth vest and capes too. It makes them easier to put on the figures. That's what I hated about the 2002 line. That they made them, uh, I guess the word is McFarlane-esque. I couldn't put my trap jaw on my pterodactyl. And again, you know, I couldn't put my men-at-arms on the bash- or not the bashing beetle vehicle. You know, they, they weren't toy-friendly. And these ones do look toy-friendly. Well, they are. I already have my He-Man on my Roton fighter. Right, yeah. And and because that's the only vehicle. Well, I have that and the um, uh, Dragon Blaster, and they fit into it. I'm like, yeah. yay! That's one of the things that was a real shame about the 2002 line is we didn't get 
the uh, horseman's full vision for that line uh, because it was a costing issue because the original designs for those figures had a bunch of articulation. But like you said, when you took that out, when you've got somebody like Trapjaw that's super stylized and, you know, he had those big boots and everything else, and you couldn't, you couldn't put them on the vehicles and stuff. And you lost a lot of play value by losing all that articulation and him so stylized. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of pluses and misses of, of that generation of figures, but yeah, the playability of the origins figures is definitely top notch. Well, and because they're going to be so, so uh, inexpensive, are we like, and they're going to be a retail, are we likely going to see finally, a return of gift sets are we going to be able to buy a he-man and battle cat or uh you know skeletor panthor what have you or a three pack of of uh, heroic warriors well i think they already i think they're already planning on doing him with battle cat and skeletor with panthor uh i'm not 100 percent sure, but I, I seem to remember that they were going to do that they showed they showed uh battle cat awfully but i, I don't think they announced how they're going to pack him out but i would mm-hmm. assume that you're going to see some of that because they've already announced that Prince Adam's going to be coming with Sky Sled. Right. Uh, so I think they'll test the waters with that, where sort of a safe pack in to just throw in the one figure. And then, you know, the more the line sells, the more of that kind of stuff they're going to do. It's same with the vehicle. They're, they're going to do the uh, Sky Sled to see how that does. And if it does well, then maybe the, we'll get the full battle ram. And if that does well, then maybe we'll get attack track and whatnot. It's just, that stuff is so expensive mm-hmm. to make and play sets and vehicles just they don't they don't sell great at retail and multi-packs don't sell as well. So it's just, uh, you know, they'll test the waters, I'm sure, conservatively. And if it does well enough, we'll get to that stuff. Well, I could imagine gift packs. Gift packs are, well, exactly that. You know, I mean, kids would love to have them for Christmas. That's when the gift packs really came out. You know, during the holiday season. Right. And it'd just be absolutely nice. And, you know, it would make sense to have a battle cat with He-Man figure. Why not? You know, it's, kids will like that. Yeah. And I think if if it got to the point where they could do some of those multi-figure gift sets, too, that's a great way to get some additional accessories and things into the line. Like, if we don't get to where we have a Castle Grayskull you could maybe get more of the weapons that went on the weapons rack or do some cut different colors that were sort of a throwback to some of the old weapons packs, like with the beast man, yellow armor and stuff like that. When you do gift packs, you can pack in some of those kind of extras too, um, which is another fun way to sort of flesh out the line. That would be really cool to see them explore. I'm absolutely looking forward to a castle Grayskull in the origins line. They already have the mold. They just need to modify it a bit. Oh, okay. That's no, awesome. I mean the the classic one. Come on, you know I put the I put my uh, the origins figure sure. in the Castle Grayskull, and it's great. He he fits in. The only thing they need to do is just tweak it a little bit, you know, readjust some things. And I know if they do it on, you know, if they mass release on Walmart, it wouldn't be three hundred. It would be like at most one hundred and fifty. Yeah, I think the biggest problem that they would run into with that is just sizes because you would have to get Walmart emit considerable shelf space to it, uh, which would be really hard because it's such a big playset. I think it would it'd be awesome if they did it, but I think if it got to that point, it would be more likely that they would do a smaller one that looked more like the vintage playset and was more simple like that, just for the sole reason that I think it'd be easier to get Walmart to put it on their shelf. 
you're talking about shelf space. I'm curious, by comparison, the 80s when they did the uh, Eternia place, it was the largest place that they did for Master of the Universe. What was the challenge for them comparatively? In the 80s, they did the uh, Eternia playset, which was the largest one they did. Do you think comparatively that would be hard for them now versus uh, back then? For Oh, oh yeah, for, for sure. Because back then, the industry is different, for one. I mean, back then you had an industry that supported not only Toys R Us, but you had Child World and Lionel Play World. And like there was a bunch of big box, straight up toy retailers. And you can... Uh, I mean, you can find those pictures online where it's like a whole aisle of G.I. Joe's, right? And shelf after shelf of all these vehicles. And um, that doesn't exist anymore. I mean, Walmart's toy department is small and Target's toy department is small. So you don't have the ability to dedicate, you know, 20 retail feet to a single property. You maybe give it a four foot section. So to compete for square footage uh, in a big box retailer now is, yeah, it's it's substantially more difficult than it was back Mm -hmm. then and play sets and vehicles and things sold much much better back then than they do now they just don't sell great anymore so yeah it's it's definitely an uphill climb to get shelf space for that kind of stuff speaking you you said uh, they don't sell very well anymore i was really curious with your your business uh does it surprise you often what sells what's hot and what doesn't sell uh sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't uh but it's it's almost like the opposite of what's doing well at Dale. So like when we're having this conversation about that stuff doesn't sell great. Well, it doesn't sell great if you're Walmart uh, and you need to sell an insane amount of units. That stuff sells amazing for us as a specialty, um, largely because it's not available. So it's it's different. You know, the stuff that sells great for us uh, is usually you can't find it at retail. And if you see it at retail stores everywhere it's probably not doing as well for us to be more accessible um but as far as like what's popular and what isn't sometimes it's not a surprise i mean you expect that uh, marvel's gonna do well and that star wars mm-hmm. is gonna do well and uh and they do but every now and again uh something comes up that surprises you at just how good it does um like the uh wwe uh, when Mattel did the retro style figures that look like right. the old Hasbro figures, yeah, that's that's been one of our top selling properties. I mean, I, oh. I sell thousands of cases of those. I mean, it's insane the volume we did, and um, I expected those to have an audience. I collect the Hasbro vintage figures, but I didn't expect that to be as huge as it was. So yeah, there's always you know there's always things that that surprise you. I've told people the power of nostalgia cannot be measured. I've had people come by my desk and they've seen like for a while since you brought up the wrestling figure. I had the Hulk Hogan Hasbro figure on my desk for a long time. And I had a principal look at it and he was like, oh, my God, the Hulk Hogan Hasbro. Oh, I love that one. I had the one man gang and, you know, (laughs) I had the big boss man fight the Undertaker and Roddy Piper. You know, there is a power there. Yeah, absolutely. I am just generally surprised that things actually do sell at times. I mean, the four horsemen, honestly, uh, I kind of told them this, that I was a little shocked that they actually did continue with their figures because I thought they were a little pricey and I got the first sets and the quality was not the greatest. I had a lot of loose parts that I had to fix with my own little uh, toy techniques that I have for fixing toys. And here they are later, you know, and I admit I, I was wrong about it because they did make better quality and they are making better toys 
Yeah, their their quality has gone up so so much. Uh, I have uh, closely followed Mythic Legions. I have a ton of them, <laughs> and uh, you know, I I've sold a lot of them. You know, I know that as a product, uh, you don't have to worry about quality control like you did with like masters masters of the universe classics figures. Uh, you know that what what they're delivering to you is going to be quality that you're there's very little chance of having problems with them and you're going to enjoy them yeah and and definitely like you said that the quality having improved um that's all about getting um the right factory partners um and so now that the the horsemen have a fantastic factory um that's one of the things i talk to people about all the time like about um the super seven figures, the plastic didn't look quite right or the paint job wasn't quite right on the way they did the eyes or whatever it was, you know, the, the, uh, manufacturing process of toys is as much of an art form as the actual original design process to get the tooling made so that those joints fit snugly to be able to apply those paint apps, to have the right raw materials for the qualities of plastic and different factories charge more based on how good they are at those kind of things. So with Mythic Legions, um, you know, they the horsemen switched factories because they weren't happy with the final tools not getting those things snug enough. And now the factory they're working with is just nailing it. Um, and like I said earlier, we just got the Siege of Bjorngar wave. Um, I un- We unloaded the truck Friday. They look incredible. I mean, when people see the, the nice. paint apps on these ogres, how they came out, oh my God, they're incredible. They're just fantastic. Uh, and it makes me really happy not only as a fan and collector of Mythic Legions, but as a friend of the Four Horsemen, because they are uh, as good of human beings as they are toy designers. And I'm just really happy for them to have that success with that line, because, you know, they've done a ton for this fandom, for sure. If it wasn't for them, it's hard to think Masters of the Universe would have kept going. You know? So mm-hmm. we all owe them a debt of gratitude, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. If you are looking for a place to live, we recommend the Dark Hemisphere. The Dark Hemisphere has wide open spaces, barren land, relatively crime-free zones. If you're interested, contact Skeletor at Snake Mountain. If you don't get thrown in the dungeon, tell them Renee sent you. Our character spotlight of this week is Robato. He is a heroic master mechanical warrior. He is also known as Robot Model 9041, affiliations with the Heroic Warriors, Masters of the Universe, Heroic Defenders, and Roboticians. His weaponry includes a laser gun, laser axe, mechanical claw, and detachable rocket-propelling arms. Special abilities included generating electrical charge through the body, super strength, conceptual, analytical, and strategic skills, and limitless stamina. He was featured in the Filmtration series in 1983 and the Masters of the Universe mini-comics as well as 1983. So what do you think, guys, about Roboto? Oh, he's one of my favorites. I've always wanted a classics figure of the mini comics Roboto. Want a classics figure of the 2000 X one? Yeah, it's so sad we X. just got the head for the 2000 X one. The yeah, 2000 X was... Roboto was uh, one of the best reimaginations I thought of the 2000 X line, and the fact that they were able to still keep all like the working gears and everything is so cool. That's that's part of why for me it's like. Uh, when I was a kid, I had the Roboto, the the Mattel one, and I, I was usually like, it's cool to twist them and see the gears move, but I, I always was like, 
but he looks like everybody else. And then when the 2000X one hit, and it's like, no, he's like a mecha Roboto. And I was like, yeah. And plus, them doing what they did with him in the show on his storyline was so interesting. And it made me really care about that character quite a lot, too. Well, I still have I my vintage. I do, Sorry. too. I do, too. <laughs> yeah. I have my vintage as well. I thought it was interesting in the 2012 DC Masters of the Universe comic how they incorporated him and uh, Man Arms converted him into a space suit. Yeah, that's right. They did. Forgot well, about that. He was, to me, one of the most interesting characters. Even in the 2000X, I thought he had one of the better episodes. Again, by himself as a toy, I always thought his design was brilliant. That he had that clear chest, he had the working gears. I always loved that. I I loved when I saw it as a kid. I I remember buying him in the 2000X line, and I just loved his design. I always loved his colors. I loved his features. In the classics version, I was just ecstatic that I got him. I was with everybody thought, else upset that they reversed the shoulders. They screwed that up. They admitted that they did, but it worked. He did have the working gears. And Scott later said that was a feat getting that done. I thought it was especially nice that they included the uh, heart module and his chest in the classic line, like the traditional one from the original yes. vintage. Yeah, absolutely. That's That was one of the things as a kid that I thought was super cool. Uh, so yeah, I was I was glad that they got that too. I, I recall, I think it was in the mini comic at the very end. It talked about how Roboto, his job is to guard, uh, be a, a guard uh, during the nighttime when everybody else is asleep because he doesn't need sleep. And I I always thought that was a really a uh, cool aspect of that character, imagining him being the sole guardian. Uh, while everybody else rested and him having battles with uh, Skeletor and his minions at night. <laughs> that would be cool. I thought it was interesting in the UK comics how he specifically was patrolling around uh, the Towers of Eternia and uh, fighting around uh, Viper Tower, if I remember correctly. Well, the thing about the vintage figures that it led me astray a few times is when certain characters came out, you would figure a character around the same time was like their opposite. So you had Stinkor paired with Moss Man, the way that I always viewed it. And then when 2000X hit and they had it like, no, Stinkor versus Roboto is the way to go. I'm like, well, yeah. You know, it's like as a kid, I just was like, no, it would be Moss Man because he came out around the same time, like Fisto and Jitsu and all. It's like, no, I like that. I, I love that he's he's able to go up against some of these guys that no human would want to go up against them that way. <laughs> he didn't have to breathe, so he doesn't mind staying. Right. Exactly, yeah. Well, I do have, well, and- I do have, I've tried for a while to create a strategy, like kind of role-playing, but combat strategy uh, with characters. And I, I've always thought like battle situations, like who would I fight against this character? And yeah, Roboto is an easy one against Stinkor. But then I keep thinking, okay, here's the reverse I want to throw at you guys. If you are the bad guys, who would you throw against Roboto one-on-one? Well, definitely, uh, as we talked about in the previous episode, Scareglow uh, would not be a challenge against Roboto because he has no fears. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I, I, I keep harping on the 2000X, but 2000X had Triclops being their weapons master guy. So he'd be one that I would want to have go up against Roboto. And it, technically they did it on the show where it was Roboto's Gambit and he 
fought all of those bone warriors that Triclops made. But Triclops versus him one-on-one, he might be able to take him down because he's at least a tech guy. Yeah, he could totally find a weakness and maybe mm-hmm. even turn Roboto against the the other heroic warriors. He'd probably turn him into the craziest doom seeker you'd ever see. When I was a kid, I always saw Trapjaw as kind of spoiled because they both had the interchangeable hands and they both had the jaw that moved up. And, and I could see that too, definitely, yeah. <laughs> Personally, when I started collecting, in the classics line, I ended up picking up several extra uh, armor uh, appendages for Roboto and Trapjaw and their opposite color themes for each other. Yeah. Yeah, and the weapons pack. Mm-hmm. And then I bought a few extra ones online from uh, some custom retail customizers. I would have always thought that Roboto and Blast Attack would have had an interesting fight. Mm, yeah, definitely. Roboto would just have to hug him. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, it wouldn't be a very long fight. (laughs) And the other thing, too, is in at least, you know, I I always figured Roboto probably had a way of scanning something so he could understand the danger of whatever it was. So the minute that he either hears Blast Attack go tick or he sees, oh, there's something going on in there, he'd be like, okay, and you just shoot him. It'd be almost like the Indiana Jones fight in uh, Raiders where the swordsman's doing all his craziness and then Indy just shoots him once and walks away. And it would be a little like, it's like, you want to blow up boom there you go thanks and he just keeps moving on you know (laughs) well i could see uh merman uh submerging roboto in the water like dragging him down into the into the deep well you think if he could if men at arms made him he would have made him waterproof right and maybe he was maybe he's like really clunky you know he he's not really designed to be underwater so that's a big hindrance for him maybe wrapped up in seaweed and whatnot oh Yeah. yeah He, maybe he's too heavy. <laughs> yeah, he would just yeah, sink to just, the bottom. He'd be walking on to the bottom of the Eternia Oceans. <laughs> I think I was, he'd get distracted and start counting fish or something then, and start archiving <laughs> them or something. <laughs> there you go. I was thought that he would be able to interface with any of the technology or vehicles that the uh, Masters had, so I kind of envisioned him being able to pilot anything. Well, what about Faker versus Roboto? Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. That'd be an interesting yeah. one. Well, part of them is, I, I, I'll ask this on your, in your idea of Roboto, you know, because uh, I know, like, it was in the map of Eternia that Roboto was part of, uh, some origins had him as a robot from space. I think the Filmation one took care of that. Uh, others had Man-at-Arms build him. What was your origins from him? You know, is he is he the alien one, or is he built by men at arms, or do you guys have a different one? I know Crespo had a different uh, idea of Roboto, but fortunately, he's not joining us this week. Well, it could be that uh, Roboto was originally designed, for instance, by Triclops. You know, to be uh, his next great invention, his next weapon against He-Man and the Masters. But then he ended up throwing him away, or he he did you maybe he used roboto against the masters but roboto lost and then man at arms recovered him from the battlefield and brought him in and reprogrammed him that sort of thing or maybe he was a test run for the faker idea there you go yeah and, I like that. and then that idea of him going up against faker is well i was supposed to be you 
and then Faker could come at him because he's maybe an upgrade or you know 2.0 or whatever versus the original one. And that's the 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 original show always did that where you know they would try and you know win over an enemy sometimes like how Fisto was originally. He he started as a villain and ended up being reformed by the end. So it could be kind of fun to do it that way, especially if they did. Here's his heart. And you're giving him like a soul in that sense or whatever, um, which could be kind of fun. Yeah, that's what that's what we used to uh, we used to do when we were kids playing with him was that Roboto. Yeah, he was designed by Skeletor, but because he had a heart, he turned to good, which you mm-hmm. know, may be a little cheesy as adults. But when you're six, that's like that's like heartfelt. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly the 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 Roboto's Gambit episode though him wanting to be a part of the battle and Tila just going you're a game player you know what's the point of this and then when he upgrades it's like I got chills I was like there's no way you wouldn't put that dude on the <laughs> battlefield at that point look at him he's a tank you know and, exactly. and he wanted to prove himself and that I love that about him he's like this underdog through the whole episode and at the end he's what they needed to win you know, and that was great. Fantastic episode. Yeah. Great storytelling. I'm glad to rewatch that episode. Definitely rewatch it tonight. Because that <laughs> one, uh, like, <laughs> like, if it doesn't give you at least a little t- tinge of, like, something, seeing that moment where he shows up and Abtila's going to be like, Roboto, I told you. And she turns around, he's standing there, and he's like, I am upgraded. It's like, yeah. You know, yeah. Like that. That's <laughs> I want him having my back in any battle that I'm going to go into because he will end it, you know? Man, and they really... did such a great design on him. You know, I, oh, yeah. I love the 2000X. I have to give credit. Some, I know a lot of people like the 2000X as superior designs, but not all of them to me. I got to say, not all of them. I was not a fan of the He-Man redesign, but I would give credit and the Four Horsemen redesigned Roboto with love and detail. I just loved his redesign. Mm-hmm. Actually, design was amazing. I thought it was uh, very imaginative. It gave him a much buffer look. And I I liked it because it set him apart. And that was my whole problem with him when I was a kid. It was like, yeah, he, he was set apart in some ways, but I felt like the 2000X one said, this is Roboto. Like, this is truly, this is this character. And they, they incorporated a lot of what we saw since the 80s as, like, designs for robots and designs for, like, Transformers, Robotech, and everything else, like, mechas and everything leading into that era. And I felt like they took a lot of the good of a lot of those designs and just said, this is now going to be incorporated into Roboto, and he's the only character it needs to be. That's it. It made him stand apart. Yeah, fantastic work. If I'm that, not mistaken, yeah. oh. 2000X, he still had the part, correct? I didn't collect the 2000X Roboto, but uh, if I'm not mistaken, he still had the heart, correct? I think yeah. so. Yeah, he had the heart, and the. I loved the chess piece. The only thing I didn't like was that he came with a really long projector gun because it was supposed to shoot a missile. That gun barrel of his was just too long. That was my only complaint. I, I ended up cutting the... Uh, the gun barrel and re-glued it and, and all that to make it look at least a little better. Mm-hmm. But that was my only complaint from that figure. And he had those big, massive boots. I love that. I just loved that, that design. That yeah. is exactly part of it. David shared the uh, the custom that I've been seeing over a bunch yeah. of different groups. And that custom is, if that was an actual figure, he would be my grail for the, the classics <laughs> line. Because that version of him... 
is like I there there's no real size thing with the classics. They're mostly uniformed in size, with a, a few exceptions. Imagining him being one that towers over others. It's like, yeah, I'd be fine with that to be completely honest. Like mm-hmm. they did it with Ram man where he's wider and bigger. It's like Roboto should be another head or so over that. I'd be like, I'd be cool with that completely. And that custom, the Hulkbuster version of him is, is so sweet. Oh, badass. I, love it. Yeah. I love that thing. I, I'm ready to buy a Hulkbuster just to do that. And I don't even customize. <laughs> That'd be my <laughs> first custom. Be like, you have to get done. <laughs> it's great to think that he can build new bodies for himself, you know, depending on the situation, kind of like Ultron in the Avengers movie. I was just thinking that would have been a really cool thing that they could have added to his character because you know, like he gets he gets blown up here, but then another yeah. of them comes out of the ground somewhere oh. else or whatever. And I mean, that, it's like, you know, with Triclops creating that bone monster army, imagine a Roboto army versus that, <laughs> you know, like and, and no, those are the good guys. You know, they're they're on our side. Like they don't even need the palace guards. Then they just be like, here's the Roboto squadron, you know. <laughs> oh, there's that revelations uh, or a revelation cartoon coming out. So you never know. Kevin Smith, if you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite things they did with the classics line was they include the spare hand. They gave him an actual hand opposed to all of his appendage weapons, which was nice. That's cool. Again, that's my love and hate. I ended up with three of them. I have three classic Robotos because my first one, he had the exploding crotch. And I did fix it. I did fix the exploding crotch. You can fix those with some super glue and careful super gluing. But then I've noticed that he had the crack uh, coming from underneath his armpit. Mm-hmm. And I had another one. I, I found another one on sale at a, a Comic-Con. And I snagged that one and thinking, okay, just in case the other Roboto gets bad. And I had him in the package for a long time. And then I looked. He had a crack on his chest. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then I didn't pay attention. And then luckily I found a third one uh, somewhere else uh, in a store, some toy store. I think it was Dallas Vintage Toys, actually. And uh, I did saw him and he was loose, but I looked at him. He was perfect. No problems in the chest or anything. No cracks anywhere. And so that one I have perfectly preserved in my bin. You know, I have my first one still on display. But I just hate that, you know, they just didn't make the clear plastic right. Yeah, that that was frustrating. I have I have one. Uh, did the same thing with my goddess. With those two, I kept them both in the package. Hey, alert, they're just in my base. So I have clean ones because I know the ones in my loose collection are eventually going to have some sort of issue. And Roboto, the, the shoulders being backwards, just that little millimeter difference space. Anytime mm-hmm. you move the arm, it pushes on it. So, yeah, my display one's starting to get those little tiny cracks and it is a, it is a bummer to have yeah. that happen for sure but uh yeah you know that reminds me and it total i it totally slipped my mind uh, before i took a break from classics i had a gorgeous uh mini comics roboto figure that hunter knight customs chris diaz my buddy made for me and uh and it, it looked gorgeous and he had to he, he Instead of a clear body, of course, he he made it more uh, opaque for uh, the mini comic design. It turned out uh, just wonderful, uh, and he had to sculpt a lot of the um, the chest because it basically, as I recall, it just shattered. Like it, 
it was so broken by the time he was able to get it apart uh it, it arrived in the mail like that and uh but it it worked out you know he he added a lot of uh wonderful sculpting and and paint and and uh, i shared the picture of it in the chat with you guys yeah it is nice looking very mm-hmm. good that's the weird thing for me, and and this is me just having like anxiety when I'm paying the amount that I'm paying for some of those figures, and to know, okay, the goddess's uh, crotch could shatter, Roboto's armor could shatter, and all that. It's like I'd almost go that route if I wanted to get one versus getting the actual one, even though I know that's the actual one, mm-hmm. because there's a part of me that just goes, yeah. And if I get the actual one, I'm going to have that luck. Like all the people out there complaining, but if I get this one, you know, <laughs> and, and, and he did, he did quite a, quite a nice job on that boy. Mm-hmm. So it's between that or the Hulk buster for me. That's all there is to it. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's like if you're going to pay that much for a toy, you get the perfect one. I was just saying that I'm going to have to figure out how to uh, make a Hulkbuster one because it's a customizer that has really inspired me. (laughs) It's not just me. (laughs) Yeah, it is beautiful. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the time has come for us to say, well, we don't say goodbye. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I was your host. Okay, Renee, be sure to catch us on Nerds on a Couch for the latest nerd news. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We are everywhere you listen to podcasts, Google, Apple. Thank you for listening and good journey. Just be uh, sure to check out Megalopolis at uh, Megalopolis Toys and download the app on Google Play or the App Store for up to the minute news about all the exciting things we've got going on at megalopolis all right ben it was super awesome having you i could sit here and talk to you for a day you know it was so great you you gave so much insight oh it was my pleasure thank you guys so much for having me anytime yeah thank you so much for joining us this is david clark this has been a lot of fun uh i'm looking forward to another two weeks from now uh joining joining you again please uh check out adultcollector.org good journey This is Rex, and I'd like to say thank you for having me again. Good journey. And this is the latecomer, Sean. And uh, (laughs) thanks for uh, letting me join in, even though it was at the very end. And uh, Ben, I'm sorry I didn't get to meet you, but I'm really happy that you could come on and uh, do the interview with us tonight. And uh, you can check me out on Facebook at October Sun Art. Until next time, good journey. This has been a Nerds on the Couch production in association with adultcollector.org.